Chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, we are continuing a study on the longest sermon that this guy Jesus ever preached. This guy Jesus showed up on planet Earth in the first century. No scholar, no scholar disagrees that Jesus actually showed up on planet Earth. This was a real dude, but here's what was incredible about him. He actually claimed to be the God of the universe. This man showed up, claimed to be the God who got all of this started, ended by dying, ended his life. He died on a cross saying, I am dying for the sins of everybody. And then he actually rose from the grave. And so I'm a simpleton. And when somebody predicts and pulls off their own death and then resurrection, I tend to believe what they have to say. And so as we jump in, we're looking at some teaching that Jesus had. And it was radical. And it was revolutionary. And last week, we've discovered that Jesus didn't come to um, erase the Old Testament or to do away with the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the Old Testament. He came to reinterpret the Old Testament. That his message, his message was a redefinition, was a renewal, was capturing the heart of what was actually going on in the Old Testament, and that it was ultimately a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And we talked about how the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the historical account of the life of Jesus, and then Acts to Revelation are just commentary on Jesus. And so everything, everything points to Jesus. That's what we talked about last week. And this week, this week, we're going to find Jesus. And for the next 10 weeks, we're going to find Jesus reinterpreting some old commandments that had lost their heart. He's teaching to a group of people who they had put a mask on and they had missed the message. I've told some of you this story before, but... um, I was at my sister's wedding. Rob was the DJ at my sister's wedding. Um, he's amazing. He's an incredible DJ. And he's the DJ at my sister's wedding. And so um, my sister got married. And then we took a big family photo. And I don't know if any of you have ever been a part of a wedding and a big family photo, but they're a big deal. And you know that as you take this photo, man, this is going to be put in photo albums. And people for years and years and years are going to look at this photo. Maybe this is the first time in a really, really long time your whole family has got together for a big photo. And that was our family. We had them on my mom's side and my dad's side and grandparents and everyone together from all across the country gathered for this one photo. And I remember we're all lined up. There's probably maybe 30 or 40 of us and we're all sitting there. We're trying to take a photo. Now, Charlie and Brinley at this point, Charlie is my oldest son. He was, I think he was three. Brinley was about two. And weddings are torture for kids. They're like the worst thing you could ever do to a kid is dress them up in some like God awful tight tuxedo. That's the worst thing you could do for a kid. And he had to walk down the aisle, and it was awesome, you guys. Brinley, when she was walking down the aisle, she was a flower girl. During the rehearsal, she's walking down the aisle, and luckily there's nobody, but there was like seats, you know, we were kind of prepping for it. She's walking down the aisle. She has this big basket. All of a sudden, she goes like this, boom, chucks it. And I was like, that is literally going to take off grandma's head. Like, that's not going to be good for grandma. So we're trying to teach them, you know, walk down the aisle, be so good, look awesome. Don't act like we know you really are. Like, be better than we know you are to be. And so we're trying to, like, teach them to basically put on this mask. And so they walk down the aisle. They go, great. Well, here's the time, here's the, the time comes for the photo. 
and we're sitting there and we're getting ready to take the photo and Charlie's just done. He's just done. And so I hand him a helicopter and if you know my son, helicopters, planes, they are his world. They are his God. They are his idolatry. He is all about the airplane and helicopter. And so I give him a helicopter. I'm like, Charlie, I just need you to smile for this stupid photo. Just smile and look nice. And he's not having it. He is crying. He is bawling. He wants nothing to do with it. He does this even. Everyone's facing forward and he like turns his back to the cameras. You know, you guys have seen kids do that? So he does that. I walk over to Charlie. I walk over to Charlie and I'm like, hey, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Um, I was like, hey, bud. I pull him off to the side. I'm like, hey, man, um, do you like ice cream? And he's like, his eyes light up, right? He like thinks I am going to pull out ice cream. He's like, yeah, I love ice cream. I love ice cream, dad. And I'm like, okay. If you ever want to eat ice cream again, you are going to freaking... I don't say that to him, but I'm saying to you, you're going to freaking turn around and smile. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so angry at him. And, and he starts to cry a little bit. And he starts to pull it together. And then he gets in front of the camera and he loses it again, right? Just throwing a fit, raging. Grandparents are not having it. We're just trying to get this stupid photo taken. So I pull him off to the side again. I'm like, hey, Charlie. I grab that little helicopter from him. I'm like, hey, Charlie. You love helicopters, don't you, buddy? You love it. And he's thinking I'm going to pull out an electronic one that flies or whatever. And he's like, yeah, Dad, I love helicopters. I'm like... I will smash your helicopter in front of your face if you don't smile for this camera, right? And I'm trying to get him to put on this mask. I'm trying to get him to put on this front. I'm trying to get him to fake what's actually going on for this picture and for what I think people are going to feel and, and what I think people want to see. And you, some of us, maybe, maybe no one's telling you right now, but I'd venture to say that all of us in this room have at one point, and maybe right now we find ourselves putting on a mask, that we're putting on a front, that what we're showing the world is not really who we are, that as we show up to HSM, the vibe that we're giving out to everybody is not real about what's going on in here, and maybe even some of you have believed that that's what God wants, that God wants you to just fake it till you make it. Have you ever heard that saying before? That you're absolutely convinced, man, God just wants me to pretend. God just wants me to be fine. God just wants me to smile and act like everything's okay. And there was a group of religious people back in Jesus' day who, who they believed this. They believed that if you said the right things, if you looked the right way, if you didn't go over there, if you did X, Y, and Z, that God would love you. And this group of people so believed that the external display that they were showing the world was ultimately what God wanted. But then Jesus shows up on the scene in the first century and says, you guys missed it. Your God cares so much more about your heart than the show that you're putting on for everyone. And maybe some of you, you just need to know that, that, that God cares more about your heart right now God cares more about what's going on in the inside that nobody can see. That in fact, you're trying to pretend is not going on. That's actually the place in which God longs to be and longs to deal with. Some of you put on the Christian act and man, you make it look good. And you're so great at it. And God is going, I know there is something in your heart that's broken. I know there's something going on and I actually care about that. And so we're gonna see, we're gonna see over the next 10 weeks. How Jesus is going to take something that is an external command and he's going to deepen it and say, well, there's an internal reality that is shaping that external action. And I care more about what's going on inside 
than I do about what's going on on the outside right now. Find me in Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments, which is really important. That In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 20, God says to the people, in order for us to have a great relationship, and in order for you to flourish in the world, I'm going to give you these Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments are not meant to restrict your life. They're meant to give you life. That as you obey and as you follow these commandments, instead of following your feelings, because your feelings are always going to get you in trouble. I've talked about this before, and I'll just go there. You know, some of you are dating people because you feel an attraction towards them. And just because you feel attracted to them does not mean that you should date them. That sometimes your feelings are going to lead you into places that are not ultimately good for you, which is why we need the word of God to become our northern compass rather than our own feelings, because our feelings are going to take us into places that just satisfy a desire. Our feelings are not thinking about us. Our feelings are just thinking about a momentary desire, whether that's you want to act out in revenge, you want to sleep with that person, you want to take that drug, you want to experience that thing, whatever it may be, your feelings are going to lead you there. But just because your feelings have a desire for you to go there does not mean it's good for you. And so God gives his people these commandments and he says, I'm giving these to you because I want you to have life. I want you to have righteousness. Have you heard that word before? That's a, that's a biblical word. It's kind of a fancy word, but this is what it means. Righteousness means right relationship with God and right relationship with others. That's what God wants. That God's desire for you is that you would have a right relationship with him and that you would have a right relationship with others. And so in order to accomplish that, he gives these commandments. Now, at the core of these commandments are deeper truths, but the people had forgotten them, that so many years had passed that they believed that murder was simply just this line. Okay, as long as I don't cross over this line, as, I don't, as long as I don't actually murder that person, then God and I are okay. They became legalists. And so Jesus shows up and he goes, man, you have heard it said to the people long ago in Exodus chapter 20, that thou shalt not murder. But then Jesus says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Ooh. Think about the weight of that for a second. Jesus says, you, you've heard it said that those who, those who murder are subject to judgment, but I'm telling you something new. That if you have anger towards your brother or sister, that you will be subject to judgment. Jesus brings up this word anger because he recognizes that it is from a, an angry heart that we do all kinds of things that hurt and wound people. It's from an angry heart that murder happens, but it's actually from an angry heart that gossip happens. It's from an angry heart that we act out in revenge. And so Jesus says, man, the, you, you so believe that there is this line of murder and you can walk as close as you want to that line. You can hurt people as much as you want, but as long as you don't murder, that you're right with God. And Jesus is going, you've missed it because you think that God just cares about this external picture. He cares about you just following the letter of this law. And he's going, no, no, God actually cares about your heart because if you right now are in this room and you have anger in your heart, that bothers Jesus. 
And some of you, some of you, because of what's happened in your life, it's very understandable why you're angry. And some of you think, man, God just, God just wants me to do all these right things, but I can't because I'm angry. And you need to understand Jesus is going, I understand. I understand that you're angry and I want to deal with that. That I want to first address whatever it is that's causing you to rage. Now, some of you, your parents just say, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, <laughs> you just like lose it on them. Or your friends, for some of you, your, your friends, they walk on eggshells around you because they're afraid at any moment that they're gonna be the cause of an explosion. And some of you are just trying and trying and trying, hoping that as you just act like a Christian, as you just do the right thing, that it's gonna be fixed and that you can just ignore it and pretend it's not there. Jesus is never interested in ignoring the root of the problem. And whatever you're going through, whatever pain you're in, whatever anger you have right now, Jesus is not interested in pretending that doesn't exist. It's the very thing he wants to go and explore with you. And that immediately is uncomfortable. Because if Jesus is truly going to explore that part of you that is so angry, that means you've got to let him in. Or some of you who you're so angry at your parents or your foster parents or your aunts and uncles or the things that have happened to you that you carry this anger inside of you and it's not that what has happened to you or what you've experienced is okay or what your friends did to you is fine. No, 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 it's not that at all. It's that this anger inside of you is destroying you. It's killing you. And Jesus is saying, man, that anger, that matters to me because that's killing you and I came to give you life. So that thing that's, that's destroying your heart, I want to deal with that. Do, do you know that, that Jesus cares about the condition of your heart? But right now, I want to just take a second. I want you to think, like, how am I feeling right now? About your life? About the things that have happened to you? about the gossip that you just found out about. Some of you are pretending and Jesus is going, that thing matters to me because you matter to me. Let's check out what Jesus says next. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Raka is literally the Aramaic word for an airhead. It's like idiot. It's fool. It's stupid. That anybody who says that, literally, this is talking about gossip. That the way in which we use our words actually matters to God. That when we gossip about somebody else, when we gossip about a teacher, when we gossip about our parents, when we gossip, God forbid, about somebody in our small group or a leader or whatever, that that actually matters to God. He looks at it and he goes, man, that's a problem. That's a problem. Maybe some of you are going, Jesus, just back off. Let me just be me. Let me do my own thing. And he's going, no, no, no. I created you to live without all of that. I created you to be free of all of that. 
And some of you, 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 you have settled for believing that God just wants you to put on an act, and because you've done that, you've stopped him from ever being able to actually change you. Do you know that, that, that Jesus loves you right where you are? This is true. And maybe some of you, you're brand new to faith. Maybe you're just checking this stuff out. You're not a follower of Christ yet. You need to know that God loves you right where you are. Right now, he loves you. But because he loves you, he doesn't want to leave you there. Like, like, like his desire is that his love in your life would actually change you. So let me challenge you that have been following, those of you that have been following Jesus for a while, is his love changing your life? That as you read his word and as you discover, man, he actually cares about anger, is that a, is that a are, are you inviting him inside and saying, okay, Jesus, I give you full permission to explore this part of me, man, I'm really angry at what my friend did and I've got to deal with that. Like, are you open to that? Are you open to Jesus coming into that place and actually changing your heart? Check out what he says next. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. This word hell uh, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, is actually the word Gehenna. Gehenna was a real place. It was a real place in the first century. It was south of the city of Jerusalem. And it was this, it was this giant dump site where people would put trash and they'd burn things there. It was a place where, where in, in former days, re other religions would gather and they would actually sacrifice babies. They would, they would kill children. They would burn people in this valley. This was a place of destruction. And Jesus said, amen, when you, with your words and with your heart, when you hold anger, man, you're in danger of experiencing the worst possible reality and that is Gehenna, that is hell. You see, your anger matters so deeply to Jesus because it's robbing you of life. Then he makes it more personal. Check out what he says next. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, okay, so basically he's saying if you're, if you're in a worship center, if you're in HSM, if you're in main service, if you're in a worship gathering and you're at the altar, and there you have a gift, and, and, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. This is interesting. It's not that you have something against them, but you remember as you're in worship, as you're in HSM, as you're lifting your hands, and you remember in this moment that somebody has something against you. This is what he says to do. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your gift. See, Jesus is saying, if, if you got anger in your heart and someone wronged you or you wronged somebody else and, and all of a sudden it comes to mind, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're somebody who's saying, Jesus, you have full authority over my life, we have to be the kind of people who, it is like, it is our first reaction. It is priority one to go and be reconciled, to go and make things right. Some of you maybe even have conflict with people in this room, and it's literally been a year, and maybe you've texted, and, and, and maybe you still meet up, but you've never dealt with that thing in front of you. Jesus says, man, if you're following Jesus, because he cares about your heart, he wants to change your heart in such a way where even when you show up to HSM, and you all of a sudden think of somebody that you're not right with, somebody you have beef with, somebody who has an issue with you, or you have an issue with them, that your first priority has gotta be, okay, how can I resolve this? How can I make this better? There's some of you, man, you have so many enemies. 
that so many people are frustrated with you, or you have so many people that you're frustrated with, and it's like that's consuming your world. And Jesus is going, I created you to be free, and that's an environment that fosters so much anger and ultimately leads to murder. Whether that's murder in your heart, or that's physical murder. And Jesus is saying, man, we need to be people. The, the people of God. We're the people who it's priority number one to make things right with God and to make things right with other people. So I wonder, I wonder if there's even some of you right now who tonight, tonight you need to make something right with somebody. That maybe they're here in this room and you need to do it during small groups or after small groups or at somebody at home. Jesus says if you're gonna take his message seriously, if you're gonna allow him to get into your heart and change you, the way he's gonna change you is to become a kind of person who doesn't run away from conflict, but who runs towards it. See, the people of God, they don't avoid conflict, they address it. Because you were created to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. I brought... Um, some of you have this on your chair. Can you hold up this card for me real quick? Some of you are wondering, like, real practically, what does this look like? I'm not even going to get into this right now, but here's what I want you to do. When you jump back into your small groups, I want you guys to talk about this. I want you guys to look at maybe this passage and look at these about what would it actually practically look like to resolve some kind of conflict, whatever it may be. And see, for Jesus, this is where I want to wrap up. For the followers of Jesus, for people who claim to be Christians, do you know why it's priority? Do you know why it's priority number one? To be reconciled, to be restored, to be made right with people. Do you know why? Because it was God's priority number one. Because it was God's priority number one from the very beginning to come on a rescue mission to save you. Do you know this, that you are God's greatest priority? That somehow in God's infinite nature, every single one of you is priority number one for God. Scripture says that you are his masterpiece. That he so loves and he so adores you. Last night I was talking with my, my neighbor. My neighbor texted me and said, hey Eric, can you come over? So I went over to the house and, and we went on a walk and, and my neighbors had brain cancer for a while and, and as we're walking, he looks at me and he says this. He says, Eric, I just found out from my doctor that I have at most one year to live. And he goes, um, I want you to do my funeral. I was like, whoa. And then he said, you know, the doctors say that I could just get off all treatment and have a year to live maybe or I could try this experimental thing and maybe it'd make me sick and I would just die or, or maybe it would help me. I don't know what to do. I'm caught in this place and he's got a wife and he's got a son and, and he literally is asking me, he's going, Eric, what should I do? And that moment I looked at him, his name's Paul, and I said, Paul, I think there's a bigger question. I, th I think the question is, where do you stand with God? You see, Paul's the kind of guy who he, he loves people. And he loves the energy. And he loves positivity. He loves good vibes. That's, that's kind of his God. That's what's important to him. And, and he's an amazing, amazing guy. 
But as he's sitting there with these two options, I look at him and I go, Paul, I, I, I know that God loves you that God created you, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, that God sent his son to planet Earth to rescue you from your brokenness, from your separation from him, that he came on a rescue mission because you are priority number one for him. And some of you, because of what's happened in your life, you're absolutely convinced you're not priority number one. Well, I'm telling you something that's true than all those lies. You are priority number one to God. And so I talk with Paul and he goes, yeah, well, I'm just into this, I'm, I'm like just into the good vibes and I'm just into the love and, and all that stuff. And I said, Paul, it's like, it's like let, let's, say, let's say I clean the whole house for my wife, right? I just clean top to bottom and, and I'm scrubbing everything and vacuuming and, and the couch is all clean, the pillows are put away and, and the dishes are nice and, and everything's just great. I have a dinner prepared for her and she walks in the house. She walks in the house and she's like, oh, I love how clean it is. I love this couch and she's just sitting on the couch and it's so nice and then she sees the meal that I prepared and it's like Chick-fil-A, you know, and it's just like so good. <laughs> That's the meal I prepared for her. So I prepared Chick-fil-A for her, right? And so I went and I bought it and it's there and, and she's eating it. She's devouring. She's loving this and she's having this amazing experience and I've, I've done all these things for her. But if she never once turns to me and says, Eric, thank you. Eric, how are you? Let's sit down and talk. If we don't ever connect, then she's missed out on everything. She may have partaken in all of the nice gifts and the nice things that I've done, but if we had not actually connected, then she would have missed it. And you, every single one of you, you woke up this morning, you took a big breath in. And you went about your day, and no matter what your struggles you're going through, man, you went about your day, and God sustained you, and God provided for you. And there's a beautiful sunset happening right now that God put on display for you, that God has good things for your life. And many of you, many of us, we will walk through and we will experience all those things, and there God is sitting there going, okay, I, I, thank you, I'm glad you like what I've done for you, but I actually want a relationship with you. I don't desire for you to just enjoy the gifts that I've given you, the general revelation of myself. No, no, I actually want to be with you. That you're priority number one for me. And it's not that you would just like some of this stuff. It's that you and I would be in love with each other. That you would know my voice and I would know your voice. That I would forgive all of your sins and that you would be free if you'll just follow me. If you'll just believe that what I did on a cross was not just for everyone else, but it was for you. And that when Jesus rose from the grave, he didn't just do that to show everyone else that he was more powerful than death and sin. He did it to show you that he's more powerful than death and sin. And some of you are trying this thing of following Jesus and putting on the mask and doing all the right things and, and you're experiencing some of the good things that are around you and, and, and you've missed it because Jesus wants your heart. Jesus wants you to stop just enjoying everything around him and look directly at him and say, I give it all to you because you gave it all for me. I wanna invite everyone to close their eyes right now. If you're in this room tonight and after hearing this kind of message, Maybe you didn't know that there was a God who loves you and who cares about you and who created you. But after recognizing that, 
that you are actually priority number one for God. That Jesus came to save you. That all the things in your life are gifts from God, but that ultimately he wants you to fall in love with the giver, not the gifts. And you want to begin to let Jesus into your life to change your heart, to work on your anger, to fix you, to heal you, to restore you, to forgive you, and to actually give you new life. That's his invitation, is to give you new life. Scripture says that he's knocking at the door of our hearts. And if we'll let him in, he will come in, and he will have his way in us, and we will spend eternity with him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the whole world that he gave up his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus would not perish but would have eternal life. And eternal life begins today and it never ends. And eternal life is a relationship with Jesus. If you're in this room right now and you've never begun that relationship with Jesus, and you're interested in stepping into that. You're interested in beginning to follow him, not just trying to act the part and do the right things, but you really want him to get inside your heart and change you and heal you and guide you, and you want to follow him with everything that you are because he gave up everything for you. If that's you tonight and you want to step into that relationship and you're ready to start following Jesus, knowing that he wants to change and work and heal everything. If that's you tonight, I want to boldly ask you to raise your hand right now so that I could pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the hands that are lifted tonight. I thank you, Jesus, for my friends who are stepping into that beginning of a relationship with you. And God, I thank you that you promise that as we surrender our lives to you that, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you will change us, and that we belong to you. Thank you for their boldness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.